In the following live session recording, Mark Gallo, youth pastor with First Baptist Church of Statesboro, Georgia, leads the session entitled, Draining the Swamp. Student ministry can take all of your time, but it's usually not the only hat the student minister wears. The listener will hear several tools, hacks, and course corrections to get things done, feel effective, and even take a breath every once in a while. Let's join Mark now. You probably noticed we got this topic, and it's a collaboration between John Price. I'm kind of a pinch hitter for John Price, so he and I collaborated on this. I think he had something more to do with the title of it. Which if it was me, I would have been a little less conspicuous with draining the swamp. I probably would have come up with something a little more like this if I was just trying to be less conspicuous. So we're not going to do that either. So uh, we'll just carry on with this draining the swamp. And by the time we're done with it, I hope that what we've come is full circle into realizing that there's some things in student ministry that can be a, a complete drain on us. And if we went with every whim or expectation or perceived expectation that's upon us as a student leader, the potential for unrest increases if we simply follow every whim. And that potential for unrest increases drastically. So, We've heard it, and I know I've said in on a few sessions, uh, the prioritization of our schedule is key. Sometimes that means red light, green light, yellow light, you know, take a pass. No, not ever in the world are we ever doing that. Whatever it comes down to, it's just a, it's a real just a grand balancing. And so by the end of it, some things we'll realize probably just need to go on down the drain. Other things... Uh, can be warnings for us. Other things can be great opportunities that we haven't yet discovered. So this 40,000 foot view for where we're at, I've, uh, I know a little bit about the Marine Training Simulator out at Miramar in California. And so what I noticed in, as John and I collaborated on this, I noticed a, almost a parallel between some key principles used in the, um, aviation water survival training simulator at Miramar. And so I'm going to pull three principles from that technique of surviving, sometimes upside down underwater in the simulator, sometimes in a crash situation, whatever, uh, whatever we're thrown into. I just saw three principles that emerged out of this grid that John and I came up with. He so more than me, but I've added some stuff to it that if you were at this last week, wasn't in the curriculum. So I've taken some liberty with it myself. So under those protocols that they've used at Miramar, I think there's some mirroring similarities between what we're talking about. So in discovering what is most important from this 40,000 foot view, I thought it'd be good if we got into clusters of maybe Four, getting maybe match up four or five, get with, uh, make, we'll make just a few clusters across here, some folks that we might not know, maybe from a different context than what we're in. But at the, under the 40,000 foot view, we're going to ask just really a fundamental question. And so look at this first question as we get into, just take a second, get in groups of four or five again. And come up, come up with the answer to this. What is most important? Or maybe what's our greatest hope in under our calling? Some other groups have talked about what our calling is. And for most of us, if we're sitting up here, it's something related to student ministry. So come up with what's most important. Maybe what's our greatest hope. Just take a few moments and let's talk over that. You know, we'll rejoin back together and just kind of pull and get some answers Instead of you asking questions, right, like in getting blank stares, y'all just form these little pods across here, get some answers to what's most important, or maybe what's our greatest hope in our calling. That's awesome. <laughs> 
in discovering what's most important, or maybe, maybe even answering what's our greatest hope and what God's called us to, we probably wouldn't find much argument in a, a prioritization of God, family, ministry. Beyond those top three, is there any dispute that those might be top three? We're not too many generations away where some of that would have been reversed. Some of our parents probably came up in a ministry if we're PKs or we know somebody. Some of those probably would have been, a couple of those might have been flipped around. Right? I grew up in an era where ministry did bump family. For whatever reason, maybe we're just more enlightened people now. Maybe we've seen some of the error that caused... And any, any imbalance of this is going to cause us some disruption. But beyond these top three, when we say what's most important to us, is there anything that emerged from our conversations outside of these that we would say would be a close in competition or next in line, maybe number four, number five? Did anything emerge? We had a big conversation about being able to make disciples that could then make disciples. Sure. Disciple cycles. Lecrae called it that, right? Remember? One of his first songs, so making disciples who make disciples. It's good. Any others? Yes, yeah, uh, basically said making disciples, spiritual growth, and what we want to be like him. Something that they care about the youth and their marriage and their father and their grandfather that's lifelong team, not just something they just that's a good hit because you know the the kind of the big word we, we've been using for probably a decade of transformational, right? So that's become pretty pretty significant nomenclature for what we're seeking, you know, as an end. That's right. Well, in this session, any others that we're maybe missing, or I think we that's pretty good for this for a good summary. In this session, these exercises, we're going to go through this back and forth. Us now, this isn't primarily just seminar kind of a setting. And so we're going to do a lot of this back and forth because I'm learning. I'm a lifelong learner. I think uh, we put ourselves in a in a little tiny box if we stop learning. And so this is going to help me along the way just as much as it helps each of us. But I think we could sum, summarize this kind of like a choose our own way as we work around these experiences and our conversations. And these are meant to be good kind of good kind of interactions. We're going to kind of distill down some of these major topics that John and I collaborated on. And we're going to use some really pinpointed sorts of questions. And it may help to define ourselves under choosing our own way that the first principle taught at the simulator at Miramar is to keep a point of reference. When those trainees are dropped into that tank and that big cylinder of seats to simulate the aircraft that has gone down over water, experienced turmoil over water, whatever point that aircraft has gone into the water. At some points, the simulator goes in upside down. Now, they start out slow in the simulator. They start out just swimming, just in their warm-up clothes, and then they put full gear on them, and they swim their 50, 50 meters. And then when they drop in the simulator, sometimes that simulator will go in slow at first. Then sometimes it'll crash and slam in. The whole point is to build up these trainees. I mean, if they just slammed them in all at once, a big panic would ensue, right? But this first understanding is to keep a point of reference. And what that translates for us in for understanding how we keep afloat when all of different ministry, different authority structures are thrown at us, Keeping a point of reference. How did Jesus do this? Matthew chapter 4, first 11 verses. Jesus kept a point of reference in the temptation when he was led out into the wilderness. How did he do it? He just never took his eyes off focus of who he was, whose he was, and what he was here to accomplish. And I think when you, we read through the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, we understand what was most important. We understand how he kept a point of reference. And so that's going to translate for us 
into some of these other sub-questions we're going to ask what, who, and where. So what is most important? We already addressed that in our prioritization. Who do we hope to be? Now this one's a little more, this one drills down a little bit more even above what's most important is who do we hope to be? Remember that movie, Mel Gibson, a couple decades ago, Man Without a Face? And by the end of the movie, he was just a guy on the edge of the crowd that the, that the young character could just barely make out, right? If we just blend in and we just become one of the faces among the many, or does God have a specific design for what? But what, ha what have we embraced? So around our discussion circles here, what is it? as concisely as we can get to it, what is it that we hope to be? And by that, I don't mean that we're, telling, we're, we're saying to God, here's what, I, here's what I expect, right? But what has his, his call, his expectation on our lives, what has that created in us a sense to be? So in that, so let's take a couple minutes and as concise as we can for what God's called us into, let's just share around our circles. What, uh, who, do we, who do we hope to be? All right, so we'll draw this one back in. Hopefully we had good opportunity to hear from each other. This one drills down a little bit more significantly in what we understand his calling and that but in our hope, right man that desire of uh, what he would grant us, right We delight ourselves in him and Psalms remind us he'd give us, grant us the desires of our heart. If we had this hope to be, who would share what that hope is? Not like a face in the crowd, but some design that he's given us. Uh, well, we, we just say we hope to be the church in our area that, that needs us yeah. in our community uh, and, and all that goes with that. Sure. We just, we just said we want to be faithful, you know, faithful that by the, by the end of the, the, the whole road, we just want to be faithful, following Christ, and also be, uh, be relational, be able to talk to be the church, be relational, be faithful. This is good. Be obedient. Mm, be yeah. obedient. Yes. Salt of the earth, light of the world, salt and light, light of the world. Self-praise stinks, and uh, I've always known that growing up. And so, in little over 20 years of ministry, to me it's impressive when someone in our structure gets it. And outside of my family, it's I'm keenly aware to it. Obviously... Within my family, who do I hope to be is what God's put on my life. I didn't grow up in the ideal home. My, the home I was in was biologically intact. But it was far from a disciple-making home. Now, but my dad was an elder in the church. He was a Sunday school teacher, did all the church asked him to do. My mother worked in the nursery, did some bookkeeping. But... Out of five kids, three of us have continued on. And there's a lot being talked today about graduation, evacuation, kids leaving the church. And I'm the second youngest, and I'm about to hit 50. Three out of five of us are walking faithfully with the Lord. So I guess my parents kind of beat the odds maybe, right? But for those two that it didn't stick, what happened? There was a disconnect. But in part of my greatest hope, one of our leaders said this, posted this on Facebook after Impact Camp. Impact's a camp. You've seen it advertised. We've been, it's an integral part of training our students to come back and lead September through May here in, in their uh, small group, family group ministry. So one of our leaders that was at camp with us, she leads here on a weekly basis, said this, one 
she put a picture up of me at camp, which I had a big afro on. We were like the 70s glam kind of, you know, we had silk shirts, bell, bell bottoms. So she put a picture of me up on our group page. And she said, one rad dude, an incredible discipler. Based on my math, FBC Burroughs students represented just less than 8% of the students at impact, but they won approximately 20% of the Unsung Hero Awards. And that's just an award given us like a Christ-like award. Same thing last year. And here's the thing. Any of our kids could have won that award. They all exemplify Christ. And you know why? Not because this one individual has built a ministry around himself, but he recognizes the strengths of their students, builds them up, and empowers them to lead. And so to get that, I mean, after years and years of delegating and leading in a way for a for a, not only a parent, but also a, a volunteer serving in weekly ministry. That, if I had to narrow down at least one dimension of what I hoped for, that was it. That a parent got it and recognizes that students are taking the mantle to influence their circle of peers. And that's ultimately what it's, what it's been about. It's, it's everything we mentioned. Being the church, being faithful, being obedient. So, as we capture this, and I know in this room there's some just newer to the ministry and some that have been doing it a decade or two or more. We understand and embrace what God, this call God's put on our lives. We understand along the way there's been some pitfalls, there's been some whirlpools that we maybe have gotten just pulled into. But when it comes down to what is our calling, what is our greatest hope, what does the pastor expect, these are all good questions to distill down what, what's upon us. And the draining the swamp can be, we can be part of this just muck and murkiness that really can distort the clear vision we have for what we've already gone over, what we've been called to, who do we hope to be, where do we find our greatest value. That sounds real similar to those two questions, but where we find greatest value can, maybe that's summed up in our family and is our family's perhaps set the model for that kind of influence. But certainly a healthy marriage, healthy family spills over. I know this because Paul wrote that to Timothy, right? When he said to look for the qualifications of elders and deacons. He didn't say look at how they manage their bank account. He didn't say look at how they manage their business. He said look at how they treat their wife. He said, look at how they raise their family. That's pretty noble. If you're looking for that qualification, that's what we're going to hope for. And then from there, in, in my personal focus, that's been, that's been fundamental. And I've noticed the longer I go at this, that in student ministry, there's so much that comes out of having this right and having clear vision of this, I I become less burdened by being consumed by the swamp of all the stuff that can, it swirls around us. And so that's, that's maybe one way to arrive at what we hope to accomplish. So, and if we, what we hope to accomplish spills out of the pastor's expectation, leadership's expectation, if what we hope to accomplish, and we can explain why, which includes, if we explain all of this, our calling, what God's placing us, this burden. In ordination, my ordination interview, I got asked, explain your burden for ministry. The only other harder question I got asked was define God and give three examples. But define this burden. So the way I remember explaining it was, it was this weight. It was 
more than the heaviest backpack I ever imagined. It was weightier than any. It it was a it was a presence that was a spiritual weight for this next generation. That was the best way I knew how to explain it. And from there, then, if so, when we can when we can explain the why of this burden and what God's placed on us, that's compelling. And so some of these thoughts that John and I came up with were to work our way through this and to help us clarify it. If it's just taking a notepad or Evernote or whatever it is we use, that why is compelling and it'll be big enough to propel us through hard times. It'll be big enough to recruit folks to get on board the volunteers, it'll be big enough to raise support for where we see our vision for the ministry in our context going. In the previous session we sat in, uh, Clinton Heather mentioned the Valentine's banquet. We had that same, we moved into in 2012 here, we moved into this Valentine's banquet and it was sort of a big social event. We just turned it into a mission vision casting all around love. And it's something the congregation has got behind. And every year it funds our kids involved in ministry training over the summer and also mission. Matt Petty up at Burnt Hickory, he's a friend of, he's been a friend of ours across Georgia ministry. And they started a 5K run. And this 5K run raises tens of thousands of dollars to support student missions out of a 5K run. But this thing has grown enormous up in Ackworth, Georgia. Now Matt has gone from student ministry to the senior pastorate. But I think that speaks to the longevity, the trust that he's built, the ability that he's had to communicate what he hopes to accomplish and why. And I saw that as a great, I see that as a great example. And I think across this room are probably representations of even more of those opportunities. So in consideration of what the expectations are from the churches we serve, it come, I think it really comes to an understanding of the congregation. Not that the congregation gives impulses or, hey, go do this, or how about this family, or how about this yard to mow, or how, and those are great ideas, but understanding the congregation and then us being a reflection of where that congregation is while still holding intention, we're going to lead to be disciple makers. We're going to lead to be the church, lead to be the obedient ministry in our community. And we're not the only ones. I mean, we, I don't know if any of us would be haughty enough to think that we're the only ministry that has a corner on the gospel in our community. We don't project that. I know there's stereotypes and people might have the perception of our church, whatever it is, on this corner or out in that part of town. I have my disagreements with folks that say perception is 99% of reality because in that 1% that it's not, it's dead wrong, (laughs) right? Perception can dictate much of what we do, but it's not 100%. Show me when perception is 100% and it's only right pragmatically in that one situation. There's still a sliver of margin. The perception's not always right all the time. And so what we project, I think it came out over here, that we're the church in our community, that we're faithful, that we're disciple makers. If that's what we're projecting, and that that's a great representation of what we are as a body of Christ in the disciple making process. So if we're new to it, new in our ministry, or we've been at it a while, We've had to, we've, we started a place, perhaps it's more just starting small in our communication, starting small with the vision and attaining stability in Bible study and bringing solid Bible teaching. Maybe it's in visitation ministry. Maybe it's in D-Now planning. Whatever those incremental steps are in building that credibility, communicating what we hope to accomplish and why we're doing it based in the Great Commission, then we begin to leverage that influence not only across the community but within the body of Christ. So some of the considerations of how this works is understanding, protecting what we've already talked about from the 40,000 foot view and choosing the way in, our, in the prioritization of our lives. 
the balancing out of our lives, sometimes uh, the fog that rises off of the swamp in early morning hours the, is this myth of balance. For planning reasons, what we need to protect the most is what's most important to us. Our personal faith, our families, the ministries called us to. That's how we see those circles of influence and priority. Maybe we've heard sometimes that if we get too much heaped on us, right, and it's all us carrying the load, right, the Lone Ranger leads to worn out saddle. And so to avoid that is keeping that, keeping our priority structure um, set in line. So again, if that just requires somebody got to put a dry erase poster up so I keep that in focus, but every action of my life every day is going to be a reflection of my prioritization. So maybe then moving on to healthy practices, what this looks like on everyday line, the second principle used at Miramar was waited out. There will be times in ministry when there's nothing but turmoil and commotion around us. But the one true principle at Miramar that works every time, eventually there's a settling. Time is the one key factor, but eventually there is settling. And at that point, when we keep our point of reference and we wait it out for the violent motion to settle, even, and this this just piggybacks on the temptation that Jesus endured in Matthew 4, that even as the adversary left Jesus, that's in verse 11, we, we know that the adversary did leave, that we too can wait for the commotion to settle. Proverbs 19, verse 11, reminds us that wisdom yields patience. We also know from the New Testament, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. If you learn the fruit of the Spirit song, right, we know that we love singing that song when we go to camp with kids because they love singing the fruit of the Spirit song. It's got a lot of emotions. It's great to do, but embrace waiting. The commotion will come to a calm. And so within this, the kind of the some of the sequential steps that lead to this is just keeping a clear vision with intentional ministry. When we articulate clear vision and a plan that leads to making life and ministry easier. Sometimes that means just pruning some of the elements around us that are not necessary for fulfilling our vision. It sounds heretical, but we've had to trim some things that required some leadership time. To, we had a Bible study here, Bible study here, Bible study here, small group here, small group here. We had to bring that to a point and, and bring those together. Things were just too scattered out. too. We had to say no to some things, bring the family group and the Bible study to one central time and a place and we've seen growth out of that but sometimes it's going to require some pruning setting boundaries would be maybe a next kind of a step that creating these margins it's okay to say no because in keeping in view our rest i read another article this week that just said six hours of sleep is no good and six nights of six hours sleep compounded is almost essentially like losing one or two nights of sleep a week Well, how much priority do we put on eight hours of sleep a night? Taking care of this frame. Letting it get the rest it needs. I know there's arguments up and down the scale about that, but I enjoy my eight hours of sleep. Even as creeping up on old age, I still enjoy eight hours of sleep. So how about diet? What we're putting in, what we're running, what fuel we're running on. Stress stress obviously takes a toll on us. How do we de-stress? How do we decompress and unload some of those things that build up most stress from us? I think one thing that I gain every time talking with bivocational folks is the full-time ministry is such a, a luxury in that regard. Bivocational ministry, I just think it escalates just an enormous amount of schedule management and keeping all that in balance. And so, I, I mean, in our context, we've offered ourselves to area churches that just need a boost, need some help planning, need some ideas, need some refreshment, something to help in that regard for those types of ministries that are led in that context. That's spiritual nourishment. Build time for fun and blowing off steam. What I thought would be fun is if we went in our circles and shared with each other what 
we do for fun and what do we do to blow off steam not real high spiritual content but it's kind of fun to listen to what other people do just to kind of blow off steam so take a few minutes and just share that what is it that just you do for fun and uh, we'll come we'll come back in just a few minutes all right let's go around here some things some answers to how we just have some fun, blow off some steam. Who's first? You guys. Uh, he said hiking, uh, hiking, boating, outdoor stuff. We go hiking as a family ourselves or Netflix, watch sports. Okay, awesome. Farmville 2, country escape. <laughs> Killing it. Killing it. Level 90, almost 90. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but you do. That's yeah. what's important. Yeah. Awesome. That's cool. Just, just getting away. We're, we're, we're an hour and a half from St. Simon's, so it's just getting in the car and going. It's just, I mean, change of place, change of pace, perfectly change of perspective for that moment. Great. Anybody had their picture with surfing Santa down in Cocoa Beach? He's still there. What are your hobbies? Travel. I mean, I love it. It's just fun to go around, experience new places, new food. Any others? Uh, me and my husband check Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go. A lot of folks in the community park outside the church here. You hop on the Wi-Fi. And there's a Pokemon bench right out here where they somebody hides a bunch of Pokemons out here. I don't know who does it, but that's what I hear. I don't know how to find them, but they're there on that bench somewhere. What else in this group? Any others? Nobody mentioned yard work. For me, that's just like my serenity. Grass and tree branches don't talk back to you. I can mulch and burn as much, and it never says nothing. That's just, I'm into it. I don't know. Anybody? Auto mechanics? Nothing? I got a truck. Yeah. It is serenity. It is that. So in these healthy, in these healthy practices... Some of that unplugging is healthy. So the intentional ministry is setting the boundaries, establishing a liturgy, basically what that unpacks, just the repetitions in life. Again, rest can be an an opportunity for establishing liturgy. Gratitude, being grateful, sending out thank you notes. I haven't met anybody yet. Well, I met one person that said, would you stop sending me notes? And I was like, really? That's just like pour rain on me. But I was like, whatever. I just went to visit her instead. Uh, but she just stopped sending me notes. Uh, but being grateful and hobbies, exercise, guarding that day off, micro habits, habit stacking, if you heard of that, habit tracking, that's just all these atomic habits. I mean, they, they do, they're things that we guard that are significant for us. We understand our desire for certain habits, certain things that we like. But do you ever notice that they only come by intentionally setting aside that time? Again, maybe this is one of those starting small things, like if we're into running or exercising, whatever, it's got to put on the running shoes, got to get outside, unless you got a treadmill, but that kind of gets old, I think, after a while. Got to gauge the distance, know how far I can last. Same thing as like our quiet time in the morning, drinking a cup of coffee each morning, all those things. So stacking, habit stacking is like 
cup of coffee with my Bible. Maybe that's like a habit stacking sort of a thing. And tracking is just that. It's accountability. We've all heard these, you know, if we can do it for 21 days and then it's then they bumped it up to 30 days. Now it's 66 days. If we can do something 66 days straight, it's a it's a habit. So how, however much that is, our pastor talks to us about keeping a zero inbox. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> right? Keeping a zero inbox. That's high A type personality stuff. Where, I mean, I know where stuff is, where I can get to it. I know right where to go to get to it. And so, but if a zero inbox does it, that's awesome. And then things, what to avoid in healthy practices. Black holes, right? The whirlpool getting drained down into there. Uh, John mentioned this to me, and I thought it was interesting. VDPs. Does that sound familiar? Very draining people. Sometimes that can be something that, I mean, we give time to people, but, and I probably was one of these at one time to some of my professors. I was the kind of kid that stayed after class, and I said, tell me more, tell me more. And they're like, really? You got the briefcase in your hand when they used to still carry those? And, I mean, I just clung to everything and everybody's conversation. So avoiding those opportunities where our boundaries just get blown right through. So what are some of the boundaries we've set up either in exercise or in rest or in hobbies, doing for fun, just in this healthy practices section the black holes are things that break through those boundaries that we would set for ourselves. And again, the, the, the correlation between the waiting it out, sometimes we just have to wait for some of those situations to calm that have caused that disruption in our lives. Once it's calm, to regain the composure, regain the boundary, and get back to it. John said in the case of VDPs, maybe sometimes it's they move away or we do. I don't know what it's... <laughs> That's never really caused me to move away from anywhere because of EDP, but it was funny when he said it, so I, so I, so I got to repeat that. So moving on to the final step in the use of the Miramar protocol, using the right tools. And this one, Miramar teaches and runs all their trainees through the practice of realistic rea- rea- realism. Realistic realism. It's the third third survival tactic, and this was developed from John Stockdale, POW, Vietnam War veteran, rescued after eight years. The late Vice Admiral James Stockdale also ran as a, he's not known real well for this, but as the VP candidate. But he was the highest ranking naval officer to be held prisoner during the Vietnam War. Surviving this torment and captivity, Stockdale was part of the Alcatraz gang where the U.S. prisoners were held in solitary confinement 24 hours a day, sleep deprivation, and they were forced to sleep in shackles for eight years. Stockdale and other POWs, you know, they became, they really perfected that tapping through the cell walls, communicate with each other. Stockdale and the other POWs overcame this brutal treatment using the survival mechanism to combine realism with optimism. So Stockdale paradox, in essence, defines the optimism that is most important in becoming a resilient person. So when faced with challenge or trauma, we choose objectivity. So when I'm in really big trouble, I'm required to make a realistic assessment. And it goes hand in hand with the attitude and confidence to prevail. I'm in a tough spot, but I can, I will prevail. And that optimism leads to resilience. Paul said it this way to Timothy. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command. This is Timothy chapter 1. I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith in a good conscience. Holding on to faith. Fight the battle well, holding on in a good conscience. And I think with that sort of survival tactic in mind, this realistic realism, what Paul had in mind for Timothy, this whole, the whole 17 verses prior to that, 
Paul's giving a charge to watch out for the false teachers. And in the context around us, what is it that's coming at us? It may not be false teachers so much in our time, but we could certainly identify that if it were. But what in realistic realism sorts of terms do we need to optimistically approach and say, I will survive this. I'll get through this. It may only be for a time. I will get through it. And some of the tools for prevailing under this as well could also be continuing education. It's kind of what we're doing here today. But using what is familiar to us. Some of us, that's social media. We have a great student ministry network. Right now, it's most prominently on Facebook as a group. And if you're not connected with it, I would encourage that. But this student ministry network across the state of Georgia and probably even beyond at this point. But it's encouraging because new books to read, podcasts, leaders that are learning in their context that might just match the context we're in. And again, I mean, leaders are learners and there's really no excuse not not to be, but one of the tools might just be using what's familiar. The second is this 80-20 principle, where 20% of our energy, we expel 20% of our energy to get 80% of the results we're seeking. That could be through volunteer, through delegation, finding. In, there was a season in my life using a well-researched study curriculum for our study, saved me an enormous amount of time on the flip side because I used a source that I knew was biblically accurate. And all of us do that if we're evaluating curriculums anyway. But using a source that freed up some more time for me, not having to create on this regular basis. I mean, anymore, I'm hard-pressed to even find preachers spend the amount of time in sermon prep that they did 40 years ago. We've come to a place where there are enough tools available to us. Maybe it's language tools. Maybe it's resources, video. Certainly, most churches are just using media to an incredible stretch. I mean, Mount Gilead, they were showing us some videos that they use for their youth promotion. And so we have these tools to our availability, but it's the this 80-20 principle of expelling minimal energy to get a bigger result. It doesn't mean we compromise truth, doesn't mean we compromise content, but there are those, and even on reasonable budgets, who are putting together some decent study packages for us that we can use. Richard Ross just produced a great one we'll use this fall. Uh, it's called the RAIN study, and it really delves into what he's developed for about the last five years, the supremacy of Christ. And it's tremendously lacking in the next generation. So we're just hoping to, and any curriculum, any, if we've, I mean, we put our own identity to it while using it. I mean, that's just for our context, we do that. I think in this last session I was sitting in, Clint mentioned the YM360, they have some great products. And so it's kind of like, and the veggie principle is sort of along this line too, that I know I don't want to eat it, but it's got to be completed because it's beneficial. So it's kind of stick plugging our nose and putting it down anyway, because we know it has to be done. So perhaps that's part of it. The next one was this top six. And basically it's uh, an understanding of this to do snowball. A lot of us in here, we might, well, probably more my generation, we still write to-do lists down on a little scratch piece of paper and then we toss it when it's done, right? That's our, that's how we get it done. There's so many apps now, I mean, to help accomplish this. And uh, I was going to mention this Pama, Pomodora. It's the next one in line. But in understanding the debt snowball, the Pomodora, it's an app, but it's also this technique developed by Francesco Cirillo about 30 years ago for... It's Italian for tomato, but basically his process was set the timer. When the time is usually it was like 25 minute intervals is what he found effective when we got to do list and things to accomplish. But just crunch it 25 minutes, get done what we can, take a break, go back to it, move on to the next one. If we didn't finish it, then cycle back around till we do get it finished, take a break, then move on to the next. And then 
finish it and stack it on from there as a job well done. But all this systems, whatever works for us, it's, it's knowing we were just talking during the break about having different opportunities for understanding. We got visual learners, audio learners, uh, more objective learners kind of need something tangible in front of us. So for wherever each of us is, it's this process, this technique of getting to do's done, this snowball effect, the Pomodoro technique. It's using the systems in place for planning, tracking, recording, processing, and visualizing as a tactical approach as this ministry moves forward. So we can apply that to anything, whether it's got we got a plan for a retreat, we're planning for camp, we're planning for mission, all those contacts that need made for housing, meals, volunteers that go along, fundraising efforts, all of those things need oriented in a structure so that we know we've got deadlines. If we have an administrative assistant that helps along with us, church secretary, spouse, however all that works, it's working through it in a conscientious way. We'll talk a little bit more about the, the help a spouse can be in a moment. But in all these things, we, I mean, we talk about these. Where are some of the blind spots? One thing that can help us figure out is where, where are some blind spots? A close ministry partner, spouse, is sometimes good for finding where the blind spots are, where we fall short in some of those. Creating systems. I'm really not a systems person at all. But when I moved to this ministry here, it was everything is systems. Everything's run very systematically. My learning curve was steep, but the learning had to happen on my part for that. Maybe using a team in some of these, uh, using the right tools. Maybe the team structure, delegating out what is going to be accomplished based on individual skill sets is a great way to achieve that 20-80. 20% energy to get the 80% result. No need to recreate the, wor- the wheel in a lot of these contexts, right? Pinterest, I, I've grabbed a ton of ideas for object lessons when we go on mission and we're teaching with children's groups. A lot of great ideas on there. Smallgroup.com, DYM, Source for Youth Ministry, YM360. Um, nobody needs to... Nobody helped Superman, but everybody helped Clark. We act like we can get it done. But in reality, not one of us can by ourselves, unless we're Superman. But humility is essential, right? Being able to recognize where we just we need some help. So be honest about our personal pitfalls. And others step in, and they just get to shine in that opportunity because of their skill set. That's just a awesome opportunity to see others when they lead because as the tide rises all the boats do as well in this final section under making a plan this is this regard of plan review repeat just another great system for looking at what we're late what we've laid out planning and reviewing just essential look back evaluate See what we can improve the next time around. And then repeat. When we get something right, just go back to it. Learn from others. That's kind of what we're doing here today. So when we step back under making a plan, we step back and we do this, obviously, in determine our big view. Use more time. When it's needed, use less time when we've become efficient at it. We determine our big view. So pick anything that we have that we're communicating to the students, parents, congregation. There's the big view of it, which is like a poster, some type of advertisement. We drill down into it. There's got to be a plan. We've got to know when we're leaving. We have the parent meeting, so the plans get more refined as we're working our way down. But the big view is what we start with. We're going to camp is a big view. We're going to a discipleship camp. We're going to teach and spend our week leading and training students how to make disciples. That's a big view. Now, what does that look like? For parents, they'd like to know. And so when we have our parent meetings, when we write our communications, emails, posts, 
whatever that looks like. Insert in the bulletin. If you can get something, what somebody said up here last night, they didn't know how to get anything in the bulletin. <clears throat> There's a system for that at First Baptist, I can assure you. And you got to have your stuff ready about six months ahead of time. So, see, so it's just all those layers, but it's understanding our context and, and what's, what's required for that. Determining the big view. Look for the measure by which we're measured. That comes from, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of perspective mixed in there. But the way folks are measuring us come down to a lot of what we've heard already just over the last 24 hours. Our communication, our, the clear vision set before us. So a lot of this is pragmatics that we've come up with in hopes that you know, when you understand making a plan, secondly, cooperation at home. I'm, I never double book stuff. That's a lie. I, book, I double book stuff all the time. Why? Because I didn't check family calendar first. I've gotten better at it over 20 years, but I still have let some things slip. But that strategy, that cooperation at home, maybe just simple way that we've seen it work out is look over our calendar together. Have a long look at the calendar. Maybe a year, maybe longer. Most of our ministry planning is just a year out at a time, so when we're looking at it from that point of view, that helps us plan our family calendar, or having a family calendar first helps us plan ministry. See the difference there? So, and then embrace taking a pass. Either pass it off to somebody else to oversee it, or that can wait till next year. One of the greatest things Universal Studios ever did for us personally was they moved Rock the Universe, this big music, get out of school free for a day or two event down to Universal. They moved it to the spring. It used to be in the fall, right in the middle of hurricane season. One of the best things they ever did was move to the spring right during ski season. And I was like, one event off the calendar. Is this thing recording? Uh, it's a fun trip, but the spiritual value was about this much. It was a lot highly relational, which those are good times, but we relate just as well going out to Zaxby's or Chick-fil-A or whatever. Here, we got some, we don't, we don't fall short of any relational time. That trip down to Orlando was just huge explosive investment of time for not a whole lot of return. So I embraced taking a pass when they chose to move it to January. I said, well, I guess we don't have to go anymore. So looking for opportunities like that to either pass on things or put it off, maybe table it till a later time. And then um, lastly under here, just using available resources, what we have available for each of our contexts, it looks a little different. So we, we're, in regards to people, we're looking for those who help us, those who help lead, Bible studies, small group, context, events, cooking needs. I mean, we can list all kinds of different needs that we have for folks to come along and help us. Our budget, you know, what what do we have available as far as budget resources? And then our supplies. What we keep on hand, what we use from the children's ministry, with their permission, obviously. I saw that yellow roll-up paper out there. We don't keep yellow roll-up paper up here on this floor. We don't need to. Because the children's has tons of it. So we borrow theirs. And so it's just identifying those resources the most efficiently we can to use that. So in all of this, all of this understanding of our identity, what we find most valuable, the vision God has given us to accomplish, after all of our material covering here, and we can send this to you if you'd like to use it or reuse it in any way, but after all the discussion and use of this material and draining the swamp, right? I don't know if you notice the Krispy Kremes coming in, but you sure can notice them going out, but they're just a half of Krispy Kremes, right? Unless you take both halves, but half Krispy Kreme just isn't, the, it's not the same as a whole Krispy Kreme, right? And so those, I don't know what they call those, Apollo Krispy Kremes, where they got the cream in the original glaze. That's just like the, one of the greatest inventions they ever came up with. But a half Krispy Kreme, it's not a whole. If we get sucked into this swamp and get too overwhelmed with everything that's thrown at us, 
and aren't good managers of overseeing and prioritizing of what we have to see. It's real possible we just end up being a half Krispy Kreme. That's not really as good as the whole thing. So let's be the whole thing for our congregation, for our students, and for the ministry team that we're part of. And then we can define the best of who we are for His glory ultimately and be able to let some things just kind of go on down the drain. That's really quite a refreshing time too. But we don't want to be that. We don't want to be part of that that gets sucked out of the drain, right? We want to be part of what's vibrant. And so part of our greatest hope, I think, what I've been able to sit in on the Go Georgia this year, last year, and previous year, I, I think it's great when we have these conversations come together. What I've really intentionally mimicked for us today, when we have our local network meetings here in Statesboro, it's about 12 churches that participate once a month we get together for lunch. And again, I wanted to bring this up in bivocational, but that's hard. But at bivocational, that's tough to work out a lunch break where you can get to where this meeting is happening. But to be a catalyst for that, there are student ministers throughout Georgia who oversee a whole, almost the whole state of Georgia. That can be found at the Georgia Baptist Youth main page. And so connecting with whoever that key person is in your region, that once a month when we get together almost looks like what we've had today. We spend some time in discussion. We don't do everything together. I mean, it's cross, it's multi-denominational mixed. There's two things that we strive to do together well each calendar year. We partner with uh, FCA for the Fields of Faith Outreach in the fall and for DNOW in the spring, which is sponsored and operated by our local BCM. Those are the two things we really press because we all have more on our calendar than we can possibly manage. So we don't really bring a lot of our individual stuff there to share. But those two things we've intentionally seek to cooperate together. For the fields of faith, for one reason, because there's kids that come and are introduced to Christ for the first time at that outreach at the football stadium. Well, we have multiple partners across multiple ministries following up with this roster of 40, 50 kids who ever prayed to receive Christ that one night. That's tremendous. That's going to change the whole makeup of our community. That's going to change the whole aroma of Bullock County. So that's high priority for us. And the D and the D now weekend, full autonomy. All the groups get to stay in their own host homes. The BCM brings in a speaker, has their band lead us in worship, music, and the autonomy is still unique. But the combined effort together, these kids see one another, and they're all in campus, on campus, school and classes together. So that's a tremendous benefit that we have to be part of that. In some of our, I know some of our regions across Georgia, the associations, we moved from the Emanuel Baptist Association, and our association helped run our D now. So those opportunities are there well. But we're here in Statesboro. I'm glad to be a resource uh, any questions that come up, I'm just mark at fbc-statesboro.org and be glad to connect if we can be any further resource to you. Just got a little bit of experience under our belt, just enough to make it dangerous. And so we've learned a little bit along the way. We've learned how to avoid swamp. And so I hope that's been a little bit of a benefit for us to be here. I think we've got one more general session. But be glad to uh, connect outside of here at, at uh, whatever time you need. And certainly glad to help connect with Kimberly and Mike and Cameron. I mean, they've got a lot on them, but they're keeping it uh, uh, annual ministry just up and running. And uh, we moved to Georgia in 03. And I met Doug Koch for the first time in the fall of 2003. And it's a relationship that changed my life. Changed ministry. Because he was able to, he took this guy, was just mentored me and poured into me. I'd only been in ministry six years by the time I met him. So that was over 14 years ago. And I know his influence has trickled down through so many other ministers. And there's just such a great strength to, that's happening in Georgia. So we're glad to serve and be part of that. And uh, so God bless in the rest of the week. I'll just pray us out of here if that'd be all right. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. Uh, we made the sacrifice, perhaps, even to be here this weekend. 
We trust that something we've shared along the way would be a benefit to us. And so grant to us the wisdom and the patience to manage all that you've set before us in our ultimate relationship with you, in our homes, and across your church for your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you all very much.